Buttery. Immortalised in Paul Kelly's iconic song is Australia's most famous drug and alcohol service, a therapeutic community celebrating 50 years. Hi, I'm George Katzi. And I'm Mandy Nolan. And this is the story of this special place and what brings people to their door. I'm just at the buttery on a beautiful Sunday morning where the quarterly car wash is being held where for $20, so if you've got a four-wheel drive or $15 for an ordinary car, the residents will wash your car. They do it in shifts across the day so that um, everyone gets a go at doing it and, um, and then they can go on with their other activities and it's really joyful. G'day. Good job. Getting Getting it all out. They're the hardest to wash the wheels. Yeah, Yeah, totally. I can never. Mine are never clean. Yeah, they're all stained. This car wash is held only a couple of times a year to raise money for the buttery for their off-site camps for the residents. And by this wonderful coincidence, it was on the week we were recording. So we chatted with Michael and Darren, who were waiting for their shift to start. They were sitting in the winter sun. Michael was busy writing in his journal, documenting his feelings every hour. That's full on. So we grabbed a chat. Yeah, I guess, you know, just coming here, I was straight out of detox and I was terrified. I'd never done rehab before. And um, I've just, yeah, like, it took me a few weeks, but once I was completely vulnerable, um, I just, I've never laughed so much, never cried so much. You know, in the community room, it's just a very, you know, special place. Both of you have said it's hollowed ground. Do you mind telling me a little bit about what that feels like? Yeah, so for me, um, I came here in 2001 and it absolutely changed my life. Um, I stayed clean for almost 20 years and then I've relapsed again. And now that I'm back here, I just knew that this was the only place for me to come like I know it does feel like hallowed ground when I when I walked in here on my first day I just you know finished using the day before or on the way here basically and as soon as I got here I was like thank god I made it like this place I know that as soon as I walked in I just felt the relief like I'm gonna be okay again my life's not over you know it's quite emotional actually (laughs) I feel like having a few tears but yeah it is a great place and um, it's the only rehab in the country that, I'd, that I would want to be at. I live in Queensland. I didn't want to go to any there. Um, this has always been the place that I, that I've, that's changed my life. So I'm back here again and, and, yeah, I'm feeling good about it. So it sounds like you've done a few different rehabs. What makes this one the rehab you want to come back to? Oh, they just treat like the therapeutic community treats the whole like the whole person, not just the the head stuff. It's the it's the trauma. It's everything that I that I have used over in my life. Um, this has been yeah my my experience has been that the buttery is the, has been the best place to do that and the safest place to do that. Like Michael said, like we can cry here, we can fall apart, we can be broken and we can be put back together um, gently, yeah. How about for you? Yeah, I feel exactly the same. I like a lot of self-loathing. Um, with this sort of place, you know, it just helps us work on our self-esteem. Um, even if, yeah, you know, you have like mental illness, you know, it can, you can help, they can help you work on things like that as well. 
Um, do you mind telling us what you're doing right there? Yep. So I have a, a list of my core relapse issues and um, there's anxiety, um, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, family issues, codependency with my mother and my brother, uh, friends, relationships, homelessness and isolation and boredom are uh, my core relapse issues. So they're the things I'm working on. And then every, so it's like every hour you've got to write your feelings. Oh uh, yeah. Also I have a, uh, you don't have to tell us what they Yeah. Are. Like a feelings, um, uh, feelings check-in, uh, journal that I've been encouraged to, um, write in to, to be able to identify the feelings in, you know, in myself. So I could basically just be more in touch with myself instead of avoiding, you know, my emotions that I usually do with drugs and alcohol. The buttery is the last stop. It's the place you go when nothing else has worked and when you're serious about getting your life back. Addiction is hard. There's no quick, easy fix. It's a process. It's a process that works if you surrender yourself to it. For Moana, a current resident of the buttery, surrendering was hard. For a long time, she didn't even think she had a problem. As someone who grew up in the area around Lismore, the buttery was just somewhere you drove past on the way to the beach. There was no way she was going there. That was one door she'd never planned knocking on. I, I realised very quickly that I couldn't stop when everybody else did. So I, everyone would match me. We'd all have an all-nighter. And then when everybody would go to bed, I would sit up drinking on my own and I would start walking through and just drinking the dregs of people's drinks. I would I'd just continue the party by myself. I would go to a bottle shop and then by the time everybody woke up again, I had been going all day. Yeah. How did you walk through the doors here at the Buttery? And can I ask how long you've been here now? I've been here just over three months. So I've, I've moved into the second part of the program. Yeah. So tell me how you, how you arrived here. I arrived here straight from detox in Lismore. Um, so a bit of my history with detox is that I've been in various facilities since 2019. I've been in around 16 detoxes in New South Wales and a handful more in Queensland. Um, I'd only ever been to one other treatment centre, which was short term. And my level of drinking is extremely dangerous. Um, at my worst, I was drinking 90 standard drinks a day um, in a 24-hour period, and I was going for um, about two weeks without being able to eat anything. So um, I was being admitted to hospital quite regularly for passing out. Um, they weren't able to to wake me at all. And on this occasion, I went into emergency. Um, paramedics took me in and I went directly from the emergency room to the detox center and was in there for eight days and came directly to the buttery. And w did you feel, did you feel, were you ready? Did you feel ready to stop or, cause I can imagine that, you know, I can't imagine cause I, but that I know the compulsion mm. But, you know, what is that, how did that feel for you walking in to to this, to a place like the Buttery? Because you live locally, you've probably driven past here heaps of times, but never thought that one day this would be the place. How did, how, how did that, like, was that a moment for you to, to walk in? Had you driven past here before? I would drive past here daily and I... I have a, reg a person that I see, a drug and alcohol counsellor in Byron, and 
being from Lismore, I, I quite literally would pass through very often and there was roadworks here for quite an extensive period. And I remember I got stopped right out the front for about five minutes and all I saw was the sign that said the buttery. And I, I remember taking a photo and I sent it to my drug and alcohol counsellor and I said, this is not a sign. And he wrote back, I think this is a sign. And <laughs> um, less than two months later, I was here. So I was adamant that I would never walk into the doors of the buttery. Um that's interesting, isn't it? Because we all have so many preconceptions, one of what an addict is. Yes. So that we're not. And a preconception of what this place must be. What did you think? What what were your um I goes the apprehensions about what this was or what it would mean to come here? For me, it was the unknown. So I had spoken to people in intake and they they certainly give you a rundown of what to expect timeline as far as, you know, contact with family, phone contact, outings, etc. But I never understood what was actually in the grounds of the buttery. I, all I saw was what I could see from the road. And for me, I'm a complete control freak. So I'd like to know everything about where I'm going and what I'm, what to expect. And that's just not the way it runs here. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a mystery what lies behind the, the driveway of the buttery and it's not bad. <laughs> so that would have been scary for you then. It was terrifying. I was petrified. I came here and the first day I, I had been, I got picked up by one of the intake workers from detox and we drove through the drive, like down the driveway here and I burst into tears and I said, okay, I'd like to go home now. And I haven't. I haven't gone home. I'm still here. I I feel like every part of like it was it was like the last part of my addiction screaming out for control and then it lost control the moment I decided to stay and do the work. Yeah, I yeah. think the work's surrender, isn't it? It really is. We have we have a big sign in the in the community room where we do a lot of work and it says surrender and I've looked at it many a time. If I could have anticipated what it was like, if anything that I thought it was going to be is the complete opposite. I have so much respect for what this program has to offer. Um, I'm pushed on a daily basis, but the workers know there's a fine line between a therapeutic push and a damaging push, you know. Yeah. So um, I can feel the history here and Again, with my control issues, I want to I want to run the process, mm. but it's letting go and trusting that they know what they're doing. I can only speak for myself, but I just feel connected to the program more because it's like it's settled here 50 years ago. We've been doing this program for 50 years. So many people have come and experienced recovery and had so many breakthroughs that they haven't experienced anywhere else on these grounds in the houses that we're in. So when I first came in, I was so paranoid that I was missing out on everything that's happening outside and I made any excuse under the sun to check my phone. I would come up with the most elaborate reasons and I they, they saw through it. But now now I, I don't really have any desire to know. I'm, I'm at the stage in the program that I'm able to use the phone mm. and I haven't really wanted to. Um, yeah, I 
there's something really comforting about being in this bubble and focusing just on recovery without the outside influences and without having to check what everybody else is up to and and just trust that everything's fine out there, you know. And how has the process of been for you, Moana, it's obviously been a huge journey into that deep intimacy with yourself. It's been pretty amazing, to be honest. I have learned so much about myself in three months. I've learned how sensitive I am and basically how affected I've been by by things in my life that I've buried. Um, and I've spent so many years suppressing them. And when, when I'm in here and I've got nothing to distract me and I've just got the process and I'm faced with my behaviours and and my coping mechanisms and, yeah, my maladaptive behaviours, um, it's confronting. But there's also no judgement because everybody here in the community has shit, a lot of it as well. And feeling safe to unpack it and having those ugly cries and having moments where I just want to scream um, and run away. But the people here just love you through it, love you, you through the ugly part. some connections and friendships that are very deep. Absolutely. Yeah, most definitely. I don't think I've ever connected with people as an adult as like I have here. Yeah. Oh, that's really, that's gorgeous. So tell me just a little bit what, you know, it's hard to say any average day, but what's a, what's a day like here at the buttery? <laughs> what's a day, us? a day at the buttery. So we wake up and we what have, time? so I wake up at 10 past five. That's not what everyone has to do, but that's just what I do. Um, and we have morning program. So we, that we incorporate exercise, meditation and prayer and whatever that looks like for an individual. And then by 7.30 we have a reading at the breakfast table. So that's everybody in your house and we do a just for today reading. And then we have like household and community responsibilities called responsos. And then we're up on deck at 8.45 for morning meeting. And then we look at the schedule for the day. So the schedule can be various groups. Um, today is work day. So we're outside predominantly if the weather's nice. Um, and then we've also got sort of choir art. It all depends on the day. What do you like doing? Are you choir art, which is yours? Um, I'll go choir. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all for a Monday is really good. So Mondays are art and choir. They're great. Right. Yeah. And today, I notice people are outside working. They are. Because that's a big part of the program too, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, we maintain. So basically it's we maintain, we have a compost in all the houses and we then pop it up the top here in outside and then we turn the compost and that we put that on the gardens. So we grow a lot of our own veggies and there's fruit trees. And yeah. Is that an important part of the program, do you think, is that, you live cooperatively in a little house with how many other people in your house? So in the house I'm in, there's seven of us, yes. So that's quite a bit of a negotiation between yes. dietary. Do you take turns cooking for each other? We do. We have a roster. So everyone cooks one night and then on a Sunday everybody goes up for a community roast. So we sit as a big family. Yeah. yeah. 
That's that great. And, and that's good. I mean, I guess for, for you, who's, you've come from a background of catering, mm-hmm. um, you'd be, how, how hard is it to sit back with control issues from <laughs> catering and look how someone manages? So, <laughs> the so what happened to me, this, this, I had no control over this, but I was doing morning program week two of being here and I broke my ankle. So I haven't wow. been allowed in the kitchen once since I've been here. I got um, I got my moon boot off last week and I have I think I come up next week is my first time in the kitchen. So some some divine intervention prevented my control issues from Isn't that amazing? taking off. So you had to give over. I did. I had no choice. So I've just had to sit back and slow down. Yeah. So part of being in the program, how do you prepare do you prepare yourself for um, what you need on the outside or what you need or is that something that you're not up to yet? So I don't so when we move through to another part of the program, transition, it just works on integrating back into society um, gradually. Mm-hmm. And so with that comes relapse prevention. So we look at our core issues, core relapse issues, um, and er- any areas of concern that still need to be worked through. I, I'm an alcoholic, but then it doesn't matter what the substance is in here. The stories are so similar just about, and it doesn't matter what walk of life any of us come from. It, it's just that we've all share this similar, like, experience in not being able to step away or put things down no matter how much we want to. Like, it's just got this hold. There's, if if you're not an addict, you just don't get it. No, like, you can be as book smart and study as much as you want, but if you're not an addict, it just doesn't land, you know. It's like one of the one of the guys in here pointed out like he he's never gonna know what it's like to be pregnant. He yeah. can be there for someone as much as as much as he can, but he's never going to know that feeling. Um and I know they're obviously polar opposites, but it's just the same thing, like if you don't know addiction you don't get addiction. Well, and that's why these kind of peer-to-peer programs are so valuable, aren't they? Because yep. you can't isolate here. No. <laughs> and if you do, you'll be put on paperwork and they'll force you not to. <laughs> and you have to reach out and you have, you know, you know that, I guess it's one of the great things, isn't it? Someone was telling me, a friend of mine um, who works as a therapist, that one of the greatest ways of combating shame is to tell, is, is to almost release that story in a safe space Mm -hmm. and share it with, you know, other people because it loses its power over you. Absolutely. By speaking to it, it takes away so much of the power. And when, for me, when I isolate and I internalise all of this stuff going on inside me, it just creates so much more of an issue. But when I'm in here, like I'll have feelings arise of feeling inadequate or feeling less than um, real childhood stuff. And when I speak to it, there's a room. So we've got, you know, 25 plus people in here. The amount of people that are just nodding and understanding exactly where I'm coming from is like, where do you get that in life? You don't get that. You don't, you don't get that out there. You just found people that get you. Yeah. Which is such a key part as well. And you also see um, in in the rooms, especially in Byron, so many people who are 20 years, so 10 years, 20 years, 30 years sober, 
who have come here. Oh. And it's like this mutual understanding of, oh, you're at the buttery. Ah, I get it. And we know like it's, it's a powerful program and there's highs and lows, but once you're in the, you know, the buttery alumni, you get it. Yeah. You yeah. Get it. And, it, and it bonds people even more. Rick Grossman is one of the Buttery alumni, 35 years drug and alcohol free. He's the bass player for the Hoodoo Gurus, an iconic Australian rock band still touring, having previously played with the Divinals, yet another iconic band. By 1987, at the peak of his career success, his addiction had made his life unmanageable. And like many others, he found himself at the Buttery knocking on their door. And just as a coincidence, 1987 was the year the song To Her Door was released. Wow, is that right? Absolutely. Oh, I love that. Well, you know, explain to me first a little bit about arriving for the first time in, that, in the region. What was happening with you at, the, at that point when you arrived and how, how did you feel? I had um, lost my career. Mm-hmm. I'd lost pretty much everything. My life really wasn't turning out the way I had planned. Um, and my life had become a series of detox units, um, overdoses, bad health. Um, I tried to stop using a number of different ways. Um, I tried being a vegetarian. <laughs> work out very well for me. Tried, you know, going to gyms and even went to church. Um, but nothing stopped me. My best intentions didn't stop me. Seeing my mother begging me to stop didn't stop me. I had no idea what I was up against at the time. So I was introduced to this life that I didn't know about, of detox units and and addicts, uh, street addicts. Um, my, my using the last year or so, I started to spend quite a bit of time around the cross. Mm-hmm. But I was kind of shielded from it all for quite a, a long time. So I was able to play and earn money. But uh, to answer your question, sorry, it was, I thought I was going to jail. I, I thought I better be careful in the shower going to the buttery. That's what I thought. Rehab. I, I had no idea what, I, what what lay ahead. And it was, um, it was, uh, I'd been kept in a detox by this magnificent woman for three weeks. She kept, meant to stay there for a week, but she thought I was a good prospect. And she got me on the waiting list. And it's very hard to get into the buttery as it is now still. And, um, I, uh, they got me in, she got me in and um, I got on the train to go up there and it's terrified. And I got in, in a, into a sleeper with this guy who was blind drunk in the, in the sleeper and uh, I got there and, um, yeah, it was life-changing. But it was, it was, it was, I just thought, you know, I've really, really stuffed things up. I, um, I was 32. Uh, I, the, the previous five years I played in the Divinals 
And um, I'd seen my addiction take away my love of playing music. Um, it was kind of easy to hide heroin addiction. We used to spend a lot of time away from Australia in the 80s and there'd be other drugs, cocaine, alcohol, um, which uh, the rest of the band sort of took. Um, I come back to Sydney and my, my uh, social circle were heroin users and I'd come back and someone would have died, someone would have gone to prison. So things were kind of on a slippery slope for, for, for quite a while. I, no, you know, look, I got really scared, you know. I was being overdoses. Um, I guess uh, I had this moment where <clears throat> we were playing in Brisbane and uh, I physically had a, a really bad time and uh, I'd manipulated a situation for someone in our management to bring me a, a, a cassette, a special cassette that I really needed to listen to that had some dope in it. And uh, and um, I had this dope and, and you know, the last couple of years, this is a really important thing I think about addiction, the last couple of years for me was just about feeling normal. It wasn't about party, it wasn't about anything like that. It was just trying to feel normal. Um, so I'd had this stuff and it was a suburban pub and like a couple of thousand people there and it's a wild night and got on stage and I thought felt fine, you know, after having a shot and... Um, so what was all the drama about, you know? Everything's fine. I looked down, there was some blood coming out of my arm and I just, I was shattered, absolutely shattered. No one else saw it. But it was like a, one of those moments of clarity that, that people talk about and um, I just, I don't know, I just thought that if I continue this way, um, I'm going to die. <laughs> Is that, you know, in that moment of clarity, did you have any idea how you move forward from, from there, who to speak to, what to do? How did, how did you work, how did you navigate that bit? No, um, I didn't really. Uh, look, I, I'd been to a, um, a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous in 1984 or 85 and, and what I heard were sort of, bank robberies and tons of heroin and importing and all these stories. And I just thought this is not, not for me. Um, and I, <clears throat> so I, I guess that moment of clarity was like at the end of a tour. And I thought at the time, I thought I've got to leave the band and go to the country and get my shit together. That's what I thought. I had to do and um, I got back to Sydney and, and this chaos was just kept going and I thought no one, I couldn't understand why people were upset at me uh, and I had no concept of how I affected other people and um, my family and a very good friend of mine who's in the music industry, they did a, an intervention and they got me to go and see a counsellor in the cross it was a methadone clinic and for some reason, I don't know why, they didn't put me on methadone. They sent me to a, a detox unit which was out at the old Roselle Hospital which uh, was called McKinnon and um, that's where I, 
I started to learn about being a way out. You know, I've been to psychiatrists, doctors. I run rings around a psychiatrist, tell all sorts of stuff to a psychiatrist. But um, when I was in that detox, a couple of recovering addicts came in and didn't point their finger at me or say I had to do anything. They just told this story. It was profound, absolutely profound that, you know, I, I hadn't, I'd never seen anyone who had stopped drinking and taking drugs and were happy about doing it, you know. I wasn't happy about doing it at all. I wanted all the, the bad stuff, the darkness to stop, but to stop taking the drugs, I didn't want to do that. When you look back on people's lives, I mean, most people have some form of trauma. I came from a, a, a loving home but a silent home and I, one of my parents left one day, just left. And I know that at the time the way I dealt with that and it was, it was big for me, I didn't, I just shut, closed down and started living in fantasy. So were you yeah. scared of getting clean? Was, was the idea of sobriety or, or getting, you know, giving up drugs at that point, was that, did that frighten you more than continuing use? Well, there's a difference between just giving up and being sober. Mm. Tell me about that. Um, I would try and stop on my own uh, and I would go up to Queensland where my family lived and... Um, if physically after four days or five days, physically I'd bounce back and I'd feel good physically, but mentally and spiritually, emotionally, I felt like a shot duck and life was really dull without drugs. You know, they, they talk about addiction, you know, living life on life's terms and, and um, I, I really didn't like it. it. Life was like grey and heavy and... Um, you know, I used to walk around Bondi and, and I'd look at people and I'd think, how do people go to, and have a meal? How do they go to the park? How do they go to the movies? You know, I didn't have kids then, so, you know, how, how do they play with their kids? Life, life was never enough on its own. And only until I started to go into recovery through the buttery and after that did I find out what, what, why I felt like that. And mm. it's a spiritual thing. It's not really, I'm not religious at all, you know, but it's a spiritual thing. It's, it's a, it's a hole in your soul or whatever you call it. When you go, when you used to go to the buttery, you'd have four weeks and the buttery is a therapeutic community. It's run by the community. And then after four weeks, they would have a meeting and decide whether you would be part of the community or not. So how did you go? I went good. I went well. I was a good bullshitter. <laughs> I like to say, you know, I, I mean, I, they could have made a little gold statue of me in the, in the parking lot of the buttery because I was so perfect there. And, you know, the reality was when I finally got out, I overdosed in a garage. Wow. So, so ha- that was, how long was that after the first program you did at the buttery? That was, that was after six months. Wow. So you did a six month program. Tell me, tell me about, you, so you went through your first six months. It was amazing. It was amazing, you know. I, but it's, you know, the reason why a lot of people don't get clean. Yeah, go yeah. on. Oh, was this part of what you were talking about before? I'm going to let you keep going on yeah. that. But 
was this the Rick that knew how to keep up to tell people what they wanted to hear yes, so we could get a lot the gold that. star? A lot of that. Absolutely. Well, a lot of it. I mean, I was confronted by my, uh, about my manipulation while I was in there or confronted about, you know, different behaviour that I had. And I feel that even though I did use after I got out of there, that that place changed, changed me completely. I mean, it gave me a, a look at um, a, a possibility. Um, I felt great um, being there. I, I was full of hope, but I love drugs. And, you know, when, when I left the buttery, um, there was a, they'd set up a halfway house in Sydney. Suddenly, you know, you're sent back to Sydney and you're in this house and there's no supervision and you're meant to go to meetings each day and, which we did. And um, I had a, fr- you know, you get very close to people when you go through uh, an experience like that. And this friend of mine, we were going to, um, get a place together once we got out of the halfway house and he um, said to me one day, he said, I relapsed a week ago and I had, he hasn't told anyone, he's kept it a secret. I couldn't believe it. I thought, I haven't seen any difference in him. And I said, how was it? And he said, it was fine. As soon as he said that, I just went, okay, let's go. When I think about it now, it's just insane, you know, but uh, that's what I did and the thing is about, about it is taking responsibility for yourself. So how long after that relapse did you stop again? Um, that went for, oh, uh, so that was in 87, uh, the beginning of 1988. Right. So, uh, so it was a couple of months, a couple yeah. of months. There is that saying, isn't it? I think it's one of the 12-step sayings that you don't get you don't get on the bus of addiction at the beginning. You get on where you get off. <laughs> so you just pick yeah. up. Was That's that, right. That's absolutely right. So, so absolutely what, right. You, you know, had it you expected that, that the um, six months of recovery had bought you some, mat, some self-management that you hadn't had? Was that what you were hoping for, that you could now manage recreational use? I don't think I, I even thought about it as rationally as that. It was, it was just a, great, let's do it. I didn't even think about the consequence. I thought about the consequence after I'd done it. I thought, oh, no, you know, I'm, I'm in trouble again now. Um, this, is, this is a big thing about, you know, like I've been clean quite a long time now. How, how long? 30, 32 years. And I talk to people who are coming in, you know, and they, they'll say, oh, I, I, I won't drink again or I won't use again. And I try to explain that it's not, it's not like a rational thing. It's not where you're sitting there thinking, oh, gee, I really feel like doing it. I better not do it. And there's this sort of thing. It's just, it can just be a spontaneous thing. That's why, that's why rehabs exist. That's why meetings exist, that's why, you know, detox is to, to give you, surround yourself with people who are on the same path because at the beginning it's, um, 
very dangerous. Did you have a lot of shame around your your drug Absolutely. use? Absolutely, absolutely. And how did that turn up for you? Um, I just I felt a lot of shame in that relapse. You know, my family had really, you know, they they were so hopeful that you're okay and everything's going to be fine and go and do that. And you just see the disappointment in people. That was horrible. Um, Using, when I was using, before I went to the buttery, I used to feel, yeah, a lot of, a lot of shame, especially if I was around my parents or people, you know, friends of the family who I'd grown up with, felt dirty. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a truth-telling sort of person. So I've, I've noticed in my own experience of, you know, partners and, is it, you know, people when, that, when they are using drugs that very often it's the shame that leaps them back every time, often to using again because it's managing those complex feelings mm. and sometimes it's the pathway out but, you know, mm. I don't know. So what got you, what what happened next for you? Like, did you go back to the buttery for a no. second time? No, I went back to a couple, a couple of detox units again. And um, look, oh, by then I knew that it was up to me. A day at a time it was up to me. How am I going to get clean? How am I going to go to bed tonight straight? So the work was, you'd done the work. Mm. You knew what you had to do. Yeah. And now you had to do it. So was the program at the Buttery when you were doing it um, 32 years ago? Is it 32 years ago? Was that, was that hard? 35, 37, yeah. Yeah. Was, was, was it a hard program? Um, I loved it. I loved being so what there. So what happened in the program? What, what did you do on a daily basis? Uh, what were the responsibilities that you had to the, the rest of the community there? Groups. We'd have like a couple of groups a day or there'd be Tai Chi, meditation, yoga, um, then you would have a job and, you know, like you work in the garden. So some people would go and dig the whole garden up in a day, but it wasn't about that. It was about being with another person and communicating with another person. So you're spending your afternoon in a garden bed with another recovering addict talking. Um, it was about learning, uh, getting healthy uh, physically um, so what did that mean? Because I, I think for a lot of musicians as well, you know, it's not a healthy lifestyle just based on what happens when you're touring. You know, you're pretty out of touch with, um, you know, have, cooking for yourself often and doing a lot of self-care. Mm. I did a lot of that. Yeah. Cooking. It's great. Each evening at six o'clock, you'd be in your house before houses in the buttery, what there used to be. Um, and, yeah, at 6 o'clock you'd go to your house and make dinner and there'd be eight people in the house. And, uh, I mean, I, I'd, I hadn't laughed for years. I just laughed and laughed and laughed while I was there. You know, everyone's barking mad. Wasn't it a great relief to be? Huge relief. Yeah. Huge relief because... 
you kind of got time out, you know, you don't have to worry about anything. Second day I was in the buttery, you know, you're not, you're not meant to have phone calls and they came and got me and they said, we're going to, we want you to come to the office. There's a phone call and it was um, the manager of the Divinals and he said that we're just letting you know that we've got someone else in the band now and we're leaving for America. And the walk back to the house from the office, I'll never forget that. How did you feel? Oh, just devastated. That was my one, I, I, you know, the Divines were like a, a family, dysfunctional family but a family and I just thought. You've been replaced. Yeah. I've lost it. I've, I've basically blown it. And um, I couldn't really see, you know, there was a counsellor there who sat me down and said, look, if you do a few things, you'll probably get the situation back better than better than it is now. And I said, what would you know, you know? So how hard was it then? <laughs> I imagine one of the harder things about being in a, like a, because the buttery doesn't have a length of time on the program, does it? You're like, it's at least six months, but you could stay there up to 18. Oh, uh, not then. I don't know about now. I mean, it not was sure about now. six months. I right. was there for six months and then they, they, had, they were just starting to open up a sort of a halfway house in Byron. Um but they had one in Sydney that was in our time and then. Was it hard to take, did you go through moments where you started to panic about taking out that much time from your life outside or was it easy to give over to the program? Was there a point where you just let go to the program mm. and surrendered? Like I did. I just wanted, I wanted I wanted it all to stop. I wanted all the, the, the crazy stuff to stop. I wanted, um, I just wanted to be sort of quiet and, uh, uh, You talk about feeling normal, which I think is really a good, a really, mm. You know, I think a lot of people think people use drugs to, to get out of it and party and it's it's mm. a bit of a misconception because a lot of people do use drugs to feel normal, self-medicate. Mm. In your recovery process, did you find a way to, I guess, to lock down that feeling, to access that feeling without the use of drugs and alcohol? Did you develop strategies? Um. Mm. Do they give you that at the buttery? Do they give you tools that you could take outside? They do. Or they did. Uh, honesty. Um, listening. Uh, sharing with another person. I say um, the therapeutic value of one addict helping another is without parallel. So I learned that. I also learned, you know, I learned to try and be honest and not, not to sort of be somebody that I wanted. Oh, I didn't want to impress anyone. You know, I was always about impressing someone. And and you know, they said to me, "You're not. 
the bass player from the Divinals, you're Rick, who happens to do that. So, you know, what I do is not who I am. And uh, that's all I ever thought about was what I did. And as long as you were all really impressed by it, that's fine. But on my own, I'm dying, you know. And uh, it was when I learned about that, that was great. Um, so, so that was your greatest challenge. Yeah, and it's, it's an ongoing thing, you know. It's, it's all I know about myself. I never thought about what sort of person I was, you know. It was all life was about what I could get away with, mm. you know. If you didn't see what I was doing, as long as I appeared okay, you know, I'd tell you, a, it's sort of a funny story, but it wasn't funny at the time, but um, uh, we, one of the, right at the end for me in the Divinals, we were a part of this tour called the Australian Made Tour, In Excess, Jimmy Barnes, Handle as Anything. It was one of the first, maybe the first of those big day out type things. And the, the one they had in Sydney was out at um, Shark Park, Cronulla. I, in the middle of summer, right, I head out there. Now, all of us know, know one another in those bands because we all start at the same time. So, we're all, so we, I, go, I head out there and I get, get to the place and I think I've got to have a bit of a shot just to get ready, you know. But there's nothing there. They're just demountable dressing rooms. So I go into a portaloo. I'm in this portal and there's no light. It's, it's like 400 degrees in the portal. And I'm in there for half an hour trying to kind of do this thing with the spoon and the lighter. And I ended up doing it. I, I opened the door and I think the air coming into the toilet blacked me out. And I fell out of the toilet on my face, on the grass. It's blacked out. And I looked up and there's half of the Australian music industry in a ring around me going, Rick, Rick, you okay? You okay? And jumped up. I went, all good, thanks. Walked off and I thought to myself, that was close. I nearly got found out. I mean, you know. I know. It's just nuts. Nuts. In a weird way, isn't it, that your addiction though and the recovery from addiction has led you on a path of self discovery on spirituality. Um, mm. I'd love it if you could share a little bit about, about, I guess, how that has moved you into your recovery. You know, I used to think, oh, the fun will be over. What's going to happen? I have no more fun. Well, my fun was standing on a street corner in the middle of winter for five hours waiting for someone to turn up with drugs that probably didn't work. You know, but still, you know, your mind tells you this stuff. Um, so, I mean, what do we all want? You know, we just want to feel okay. You want to be a part, find your place where you are in the world. You know, uh, I used to think if everybody did what I wanted, my life would be terrific, but people don't. So I've had to learn that. I've had to learn to be a part of something instead of the, the centre, you know. There's a great relief in that when you, when you discover that. Oh, I, I, I found that. You know, um, 
they say if you don't get humble, you get humiliated. So I've come out of the butter and I got clean and there was these, this is 1988 and um, a friend of mine had a food delivery business. He said, do you want to deliver pizza? So, you know, I've gone from this band, right, to delivering pizza. Now I'm driving around Sydney before mobile phones, so we've got walkie-talkies. So everyone's barking mad. There's like five of us on the walkie-talkies and we're delivering food and it was hysterical. I mean, you deliver food. Everyone had a story at the end of the night about someone, you know, delivering food to some. So one night I, I'm, I was driving down William Street and I pulled up at the lights and a car pulled up next to me. It was full of hunters and collectors. They would go, oh, look, Rick. I said, oh, I said, where are you guys going? They said, the Aria Awards. I went, oh. They said, where are you going? I said, I'm taking three pizzas to Centrepoint. They all looked at me like, what? And I said, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good, thanks. And it was good, you know, because life was really quite simple and, um, you know, I, I, my life was like I had a, a group of friends and we'd meet every day and we'd talk and go to the beach or we'd go to some meetings or we'd go to coffee shops and go, you know, it was, you know, I'd go and work at night and it was simple. Look, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really corny thing to talk about sometimes. Uh, I do this thing, we call it H&I, where I go to hospitals and institutions. You go and tell your story and I go out to the jails. I'm going tomorrow actually. And... Um, First time I did it was 30 years ago and the Hoodoo Gurus had played this show at the Entertainment Centre. Fantastic, great night. It's awesome. Two days later this friend of mine takes me to Long Bay Jail. I go in there, do the meeting and I'm walking out and I've got this feeling of being fulfilled, of, yeah, I was like satisfied or something. And uh, I remember thinking, oh, this is, this is what, this is the key, you know. And it's so corny to talk about, you know, helping another person. I don't think, it feels corny, doesn't it, but it's not corny at no, all. But I don't walk the earth helping people, let me tell you. No. I do it for a selfish, <laughs> selfish motive, you know, because it, it fills me up. You know, and, and I re- when I walked out of the jail that day, I thought I was kind of disappointed because I thought this is what I always wanted from being in a band, this feeling, you know. Now, I've learned that I play music now for a different reason to what I did before. What's the reason now? Of oh, course, I love it. I love it. I just love playing music and I love being in a, in a great band, a rock band, Dying breed rock bands, <laughs> but there's something that I've, I'm like a 14 year old kid. You know, it's just I still have it, but I don't look at it as a solution. That's it's going to fix me as a person. And that's what I used to think. I used to think if, like I said, you know, if I became famous, I'd feel alright. I used to think if I can get happy enough, I'll stop taking drugs, but the other other way around and what it's 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 I mean I'm no goody goody let me tell you I'm not you know and I'm a human being and I yell at people in traffic and 
Purpose and engagement make such a difference, Mm -hmm. though. It's purpose and meaning, meaning, meaningful purpose and engagement in your community and in in connection. Connection. uh, Powerful, you know. Very powerful. Well, they are the thing. They are the um, the great ways that we change. I'd just love if you could touch on for me too. Just to go back a little bit to, do you still have friendships with the people that you went into the buttery with at that time? Do you have yep. any, yeah, yep. those connections? Yeah. Mm. Do you mind elaborating a little bit on on those people that you shared time with, and those and the and the depth of those friendships? Um, I have one friend who <laughs> he's. Uh, He's, he's, he's been clean. He came in. What they do at the buttery, when you become comfortable, they mix it up. They don't like you getting too comfortable. So we had our little house. We're all comfortable. And one Friday this guy turns up. He's like a monster, right? He's like six foot six, blonde hair. He comes up to me and he says, you ever been in jail? I said, no. And they put him in our house, right? So he comes in and he's hard man and he's sitting there. Six o'clock, we're all in there. And I said, can I make you some baked beans on toast? And he burst into tears, <laughs> started weeping. <laughs> that guy, he's has a completely different life to me, Gary, his name is. But um, we connected and whenever I see him, I don't see him a lot. When I do, there's a very, very special thing there. I'd love it if you could just describe for me too. We Right at the beginning you talked about that beautiful geographical, I guess, you know, description of what it looks like at Kulamon Scenic. Mm. So do you mind describing what the buttery looked like and the actual, what you love so much physically from the point of view. I'd love to, ha- I'd love to have that down as a description from you of the era of, of what it looked like. I felt like I was in Lord of the Rings. Um, something about, uh, look, it's, it's a ind- ind- individual's thing. I, I guess I've always felt that area, there's something in the earth there that maybe, you know, I've, I've felt that out at, um, um, out near uh, Uluru. Been on a walk out there. I've felt the same feeling. There's something very powerful in the earth there. And Byron, that area is like that for me. There's something, there's that, the road that goes to um, Bismore, uh, and then there's the back road that goes from, sorry, Bangalore down to Byron. Something there that I've always been drawn to and I always thought I would end up there. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is about that area that is so pleasing to me. Whenever I go there, I just feel, I just, I just love it. I totally get what Rick is saying. It's why I moved to the area over 30 years ago myself. I always felt like I was coming home, like I was somewhere safe and restorative. I felt lost and and this place kind of wrapped itself around me. There's a deep sense of healing in this country. It's compassionate and kooky and creative. The last night of our recording was the Lismore Latin Parade. 
Now, Lismore is just 20 minutes up the road from the buttery, marking the halfway point on the drive down to Byron Bay. The Latin Parade celebrates the solstice, the great stillness before the sun's strength builds. It's a moment to reflect inward with the intention and gratitude for the harvest produced during the warmer days and to give thanks to our ancestors for the process of nourishment. To me, it feels like this is what the buttery does. It gives people the tools to go deep, to face the dark days, taking that resilience into the life that lies ahead. So we travelled up to the Lismore Lantern Parade. It's a massive gathering just over a year on from the catastrophic flooding. This was resilience in action. It was a great reminder that in our darkest days, there is always light. And bagpipes. You've been listening to To Their Door, a podcast that tells the 50-year history of the buttery. Join us next episode where we speak to Barry Evans, one of the most enduring and committed leaders of the buttery. You have been listening to Mandy Nolan and George Katzi. This is an Authentic You media production.